Welcome right by to Kevin and Joe here live on MockingRadio.com where music and minds meet. I'm RC alongside my guest. He was a part of the tag team known as the Baltimore Blinds, where he held the AWA tag belts. Also, he's a part of a tag team with his dad, the bad boy Barry Hardy, who you know very well from Damage Radio and also completely damaged. He held the ASWA tag belts and the MWF tag belts. The one and only, my man, Brian Hardy. Brian, welcome to Damage Radio, man. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me on here. This is great. I felt like we needed to do this for a long time. Dude, it's been a long time coming, man. And uh, I heard such great things about uh, from your dad and um, also seeing you on the WWE screen a couple times with Ryback and the Viking Raiders and all that, man. So I look forward to talking to you and uh, hearing all about that. Awesome, man. Let's dive in. All right, man. So first off, for those that don't know, what inspired you to pursue professional wrestling? Well, as a kid, um, you know, like most most people, I'm quoted all the time in different uh, articles and newspapers and stuff. But most people, you know, grew up with a pacifier or grew up with running around with their bottle or this or that. I grew up running around with a Hulk Hogan action figure. So, like, I tell people, like, they're like, what's your earliest memories of pro wrestling? And I'm like birth and they're like what do you mean birth and i'm like i remember being like two years old running around with a hogan ljn figure i remember running around with a hogan hasbro figure i was a huge hulkamaniac and i knew that like i i was starting to get it probably by the age of three that my dad was a pro wrestler and um you know like my mom would stick me up on the waterbed in the bedroom and say like tonight your dad's gonna be on monday night raw you know and like stuff like that and um i remember like watching my dad and Dwayne versus the steiner brothers on the first raw and from the manhattan center and stuff like that so my earliest memories man like that and like sitting on my grandfather's lap watching the ultimate warrior run down the aisle on superstars like on a saturday morning and stuff so really that's that's my earliest memories of pro wrestling um that was like i said i was hooked it was one of those things where it's like you got the wrestling bug, you know, once you get right. it, you can never get rid of it. So, right now as a child, was it hard, you know, seeing your dad larger than life with that mullet on TV, you know, but also your dad not being there right next to you as well, but being on the road, was it really hard to understand what he was doing for you guys and for himself? So it was, so my, my home life as a child was definitely, um, interesting to say the least. Um, so my mom and my dad had separated when I was like two. Um, so at that point in time, like, again, a two year old doesn't know, you know, that dad's not around or any of that kind of stuff or whatever. But she still was telling me that, you know, he was on TV and still showing me pictures of who he was and stuff like that. And um, so that was good. But besides that, like I was that was the hardest part about growing up was uh, most kids, you know, would work on cars with their dads or do this or that with their dads. And it was like my quality one-on-one -on -one time with my dad was turning on superstars or turning on Monday night raw and watching him from television. So it was one of those things where like, as a kid, you know, it doesn't really affect you when you look back as an adult, you're kind of like, Whoa, I would have much rather, you know, had him by my side than, yeah that kind of stuff. But I understood at the time that he was living his dream and that he couldn't, you know, be with me at that moment, you know, and stuff like that. So um, we had a, a pretty rough, uh, rough patch in our life that I don't mind, you know, like I don't go into huge detail about it, but I don't mind talking about it because okay. in my adult life, we've actually mended a lot of fences. And I would say right now at the current moment in 2022, that our relationship is better now than it's ever been. 
before you even go into that, um, I can totally relate because as a kid, man, you know, we think we know it all. And then when we have kids, we really understand what our fathers do for us and, the, and the tough love. And, the, um, you know, you scored 16 points in that basketball game. I expected you to score 20, you know, it's like stuff like <laughs> that where, you know, we didn't really understand he's pushing us because he believes that much in us and wants us to succeed better than they did. You know, Absolutely. but then we don't, we don't, we don't see that, you know? Absolutely. And that was, that was a tough thing too. I mean, I can only imagine, um, you know, originally, and I don't know if this was a question you were going to ask later or not. I don't want to jump around all over the place, but, um, but it's one of those things where like when I first broke into wrestling, uh, my dad literally was like doing interviews and telling other people, like, I kind of don't want my kid to be in this business, you know, like this is such a dirty business that I don't want my kid to be in it. And I could respect that uh, because my son, my, you know, my son is now 13 and oh, wow. all he does 24 seven is wrestling all the time. I mean, he puts his wrestling boots on, he goes to the backyard, he gets on the trampoline. He's got his whole get up on his knee pads, everything like that. And he's ready to just go to town. And I'm like, get a college education yeah. kid. Like I never went to college, but I'm like, get a college education kids. So that way you yeah. got something to fall back on. Trade you know? school, so. something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, it's, it's tough because it's, I always tell everybody it's do as I say, not as I do. And I feel like that was, uh, I kind of inherited that from my father because his, uh, demeanor on the whole thing was the same exact thing. Like, Brian, you sure you want to be a wrestler? Like you could do anything else with your life. Are you sure you want to be a wrestler? So, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it at 18. I was dead set. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a wrestler. So definitely. Now, did you have um, any chances to go backstage with your dad when he was part of the WWF? So I missed the boat on that one. My brother was back there all the time with my dad. I mean, I've got a older brother that's six years older than me. And um, some of the pictures that he has with the talent like the caliber of talent that was back there at the time is incredible i mean he's got like a picture from when he was little i'd have to find it and show you sometime it's like the tonka hulk hogan wrestling buddy and hogan is really standing behind him in real life like flexing um they're same thing where like my brother's got the ultimate warrior tonka buddy and warrior standing behind him like backstage so my brother was the one that got all that i didn't really get the uh the luxury of the whole backstage thing. Cause I was a baby at the time. Right. So like any good like, stories that you can share from your brother that he told you, um, he doesn't, he doesn't really talk about wrestling too much. It's kind of crazy. Cause my brother and I like, we're kind of exact opposites. Like he grew up not really digging the business and I grew up like loving the business. So that's on that end of the spectrum. I'm a little jealous. Cause I'm like, he's got pictures right now yeah, right. that he doesn't yeah. even appreciate, but I would like kill to have those pictures with those guys and stuff yeah. like that. But, um, I was just, like I said, I was a baby at the time when, you know, he was backstage with my dad and everything like that. And, um, I think my earliest memories of even like going to like any. Dad taught me how to wrestle and I'm like looking at him like, Oh, maybe they met once or something like that. I had no idea in my mind that like, they were, you know, like together for so many years. Like I knew, you know, they were tag partners in WWF and did like the executioners and stuff like that. But I was like, I, I didn't really put it together until I was like a teenager. Definitely. Now, um, was there a certain match feud or promo that got you hooked in the business? Um, man, I would say like, 
as far as like just matches in general, um, I was a huge fan of the WWF Columbia House videos. Um, yes. And they had they had those and they had um, it was like a, it was Coliseum Home Videos and Columbia House. And my mom had a subscription to Columbia House. So every uh, month we would get a new VHS tape in and it would be like best of the you know Intercontinental Championship, best of SummerSlam, best of WrestleMania, this and that. And I think the SummerSlam one, uh, the VHS tape, I actually have it in the back room of my house right now. It was just something that set me over the top. Um, Brett versus Bulldog is a match that comes to mind from Wembley that, I mean, I tell everybody in every interview, you know, that I do. I'm like, there's other matches later on down the line that meant like a lot to me, like Brett versus Terry Funk at like WrestleFest and like, of course, you gotta, you know, any wrestling purist has to love Hogan and Andre from WrestleMania oh, yeah. three and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think like Brett and Bulldog definitely was a match that I saw that I was like, I want to do that, and that was in '92 when I was two, and then I think by '94 when I was watching WrestleMania ten on pay per view with Brett versus Owen, I was like, I gotta do this. And then SummerSlam that year with the cage match was like between the two of them, I was like. I'm sold. Like I, I knew my destiny was picked out for me long before, you know, anybody else I'm sure did. So, right. But we got to talk about when it was like Saturday night, when uh, we had the mega powers and Macho and Hogan and reversing who were they reversing? It was, uh, was the earthquake when yeah. um, earthquake and someone else. And then, um, someone hit Miss Elizabeth and she fell and then Hulk Hogan took her to the back and Macho man was left. I guess the Twin Towers, that's who it was. Yes. And yep. then they had to go back and Macho Man was like, brother, where were you, brother? You know, like, yep. and then, lust, lust in your eyes, Hogan. You got lust yeah. in your eyes. Yeah. I see you, brother. You know, and, all that. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, Brutus the Barbaraster has to make his little cameo in there, you know, and, uh, but that's when I was like, wow, man, this is, I got hooked. That's when I got hooked. Yep. And I, and I mean, like I said, I was a huge Hulkamaniac too. So I think, like my earliest memories of Hogan, honestly, uh, besides him and Warrior, uh, and I didn't see that match obviously because I was born the year that WrestleMania six happened. So like okay. I didn't see that match till like two years later. But watching VHS tapes where Hogan wrestled Warrior title for title, uh, that was crazy. I actually had that poster, like the WrestleMania six poster, on my wall over there right oh. now because that's how much it means to me. But like I think as a kid, like Hogan um, getting squashed by Earthquake. Like yes. I was in tears, man. Like I, the they were playing that promo package back where he was on the brother love stage and he's squashing him and stuff. And I'm like, no, like what yeah. is going on? Yeah. And uh, how can someone I just from the think, stands come in and do this? Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. And how it's did like, they find someone? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, back then, man, way different. You know, way yeah. different time frame and and everything in the business at that time was definitely believable. They made you yeah. believe so. So how do you feel social media has hurt the business and kayfabe and all that stuff, man? Well, the thing is, and even like now, like if I was doing an interview with you and, you know, I would say something and I'd be like, oh, I hope I don't expose the business. You know, um, the business was exposed a long time ago, uh, dating back to beyond the mat and stuff like yeah. that. Um, I don't like it. I, I mean, as a kid, I loved it because I wanted to yeah. know every single thing about wrestling and beyond the mat came out when I was nine. And I was like, this is great, you know, um, not realizing that years later, it makes it a lot harder for someone like me who's in the business to uh, hone my craft the way that yeah. I want to, because it's weird, man. It's hit or miss. Some days there are people that I meet 
even in the town that I live in, my kids always say like, we can't go out anywhere without someone knowing who dad is because of wrestling. And, um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Also the, you know, the music side of things, but, um, anywhere we go, man, I can't go out to dinner. I can't do anything like that without someone. Hey, can I get a picture? Can I get an autograph? And sometimes it's flattering. And other times I'm just like, I'm just trying to get through a normal like meal with yeah. my family. You know, yeah. like this is crazy I get steak once a year. I want to eat this steak. Oh. <laughs> exactly. So, and it's like, it's, it's really, uh, it's incredible though, because, I'm at a point now in my life where I look at things and I say to myself, like, I'm grateful for wrestling. Um, but I know, you know, the ins and the outs of the business, but there are other people that they think they know. And that upsets me because they'll, you know, Oh, we all know that when you fall, it's like a trampoline and we all know that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, so I'm like, that kind of stuff makes me mad. But then there's other people out there that literally will still come up to me good luck on your match tonight. We really hope you win. And I'm like, okay. You know, like, cause it's one of those things where yeah. we're like, do, do they know, do they know, you know, yeah. do they know what I, you know, like, and that's, mm -hmm. so it's really hit or miss. So then there's days like that when that kind of stuff happens and people say stuff that I'm like, am I, am I exposing the business more than I should be? Because some yeah. of these people are still questioning. And then there's the people that I, I really love that it will always say, Hey, is that stuff you do? Is that real? Well, if you have to ask, then I shouldn't even answer you. You know, like if, if yeah. you have to sit there and say, is, is that thing you guys yeah. do in the ring? Is that real? Then yeah. we are suspending disbelief big time. And I don't need right. to answer your question. <laughs> right. Two things go watch. If, if you think it's not real, go watch the, um, the interview over in India between Vader and undertaker. And also yep. go check the Dave Schultz one out. Oh yeah. man, David Schultz. I live by Dr. D's uh, slap to John Stossel every day of my life. And I really feel like that is my attitude. A lot of times in a nutshell is people will constantly say to me like, man, you remind us of Dr. D like when you get an attitude about someone in the business that makes you mad. And I'm like, because I would slap somebody in the face in a heartbeat if I felt disrespected. I think the, the thing that really makes me the most angry is um, when I hear, and it does happen often, but when I hear people say comments about my dad or someone like Gilberg or Bob Starr or any, anybody like that that may have been enhancement talent, those guys don't mind if you call them a jobber because that's what they say that it is. I don't like that word. I think it's kind of like – it's like a dirty word to me. It's almost like a curse word. I'd rather you just say enhancement talent. Um, but those guys, they're okay with the term jobber, and to me it's like – I get that you're you're there to do the job and all that other kind of stuff, but it's like demoralizing to me and degrading, especially the way that people, you know, talk about them and, and say certain things. And I'm like, these guys have dedicated 30 plus years of their life to, you know, something. And how many times have they missed birthdays and Christmases and all that? Exactly. And, and not only that, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I know for a fact, because I've, you know, I've talked to them. I've been with them for that kind of stuff. Uh, chiropractic bills, you know, and, and different stuff like that, surgeries and all that kind of stuff. So when someone says like, oh, they're not Bret Hart or they're not Shawn Michaels, like they're, they were a job guy, they were a jobber. Like it makes me really like really mad because then in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but those guys, like the guys that everybody loves and idolizes wouldn't have been stars if it wasn't for guys like my dad and Dwayne and Bob Starr and all these other people yeah. that literally help these guys get over and elevate them to their highest level of success. So there is a, 
there is there's got to be some give you know because there are the people at the top that are the stars but there has to be people to make those people stars otherwise if you if you have a bunch of guys standing in the room and you say who's willing to put the undertaker over tonight and everybody puts their hands down and goes not me because i want to be a star too you know like you got that guy in the back you know that's like hey i'll do it and i'll make him look like a million bucks and i'll get paid really well to do it and i'll eat free food while i'm there and all this other stuff and it's like that's me. Like I still deal with that till this day now where people are like, aren't you upset that you've had such a good indie career and you go and you like go on WWE and you job out to this guy and this and that. And I'm like, I don't care because I'm jobbing that money straight in my bank account for my wife and my kids. Like I'm cool with that. Yeah. And let's be honest, man, your dad and Dwayne as, as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are undefeated tag team. The only one undefeated tag team out there. <laughs> yeah, man. The toxic turtles. Toxic um, turtles, baby. The thing that's crazy, I know you were there in 2009 um, that the convention in Allentown. Um, yes. And that was such a crazy, crazy trip for the me that ECW weekend. Terry Extreme, Funk was there. Extreme Reunion, yeah. Yep, yeah, Extreme Reunion. I, I actually was watching, not too long ago, I was watching some of your stuff on YouTube from that Thank day you. and everything. I mean, I love the promos where you were, uh, where you were talking with uh, – Guido and Sal and then Danny Doring and Roadkill interrupted yes. and stuff like that kind of stuff was great. But um, can, I, can I tell you that was my first ever convention slash big interviews? Really? I got thrown into it. Yep. I would have never like you saying it now, I would have never known like watching it because you seemed like a total natural at it. And that's yeah. what was funny. I told my dad today, I said, you know, I'm gonna do an interview with a uh, completely damaged RC, and he was like Dude, I love him. He's like, he's such a great human being, a great person. He's a great person to have around the business. And um, he was like, did you invite him to your uh, invite him to your uh, show yet? And I was like, I did. I was like, he was like, he better come. You better tell him. He better come, man. He's like, I want to see him there. He's like, he's just a great person to have around the wrestling business. And I'm like, I'll let him know. He so right now. So that way I'm not a liar. My dad said hi. And he wanted me to tell you that he thinks the world of you. So Dude, that's amazing. And that that day, of course, that Terry Funk interview, um, saying saying everything into the camera that he was gonna say the next day on in the yep, hall of fame, the and, hall then him fame. and then him threatening me. Now, don't you put this out until two weeks from now? I was like, <laughs> sir, yes, sir. That day, your dad and Gil and Dwayne highlight them on my weekend because they were so down to earth and they were so happy just to get an interview with me. And then I learned what the capital of Thailand was because of your because of of Dwayne. And bang, yeah. I was not expecting it at all. I was just happy, like, like really? What, what, what are you gonna say? And then bang, and you hear, you heard that pop. You think you hear the pop when you hit the hit the mat, man? That pop was like, and I was so, and it's it just so shocking. It it got on the RC gets damaged blooper reel. You know, yeah. it's just that that weekend, man, was my. It's funny you say that because that was my first like introduction, my first weekend introduction into the business, carrying Terry Funk's bags for him. And doing all this crazy stuff like that, you know, the gopher boy that's just breaking into the business, the green guy would do. And that's what I was there for that entire weekend. And I ended up having my uh, first wrestling match like two weeks after that in Buffalo, New York. But um, I was I was pushing hard. I was pushing hard for my dad to try to get us booked that night on that show in Allentown. And um, and he was like, I don't know. Right. Yeah, he was like, I don't know if you're ready yet. I don't know if you're ready yet. And I'm like, no, I'm ready. Like, let's yeah. do this. You know, like, I've been ready for this my whole life. 
And um, it didn't end up happening. I did end up wrestling for that company LVW many a times uh, in later years, wrestling a lot of guys like Axel Rotten and stuff like that uh, for that company. But um, what a great guy, too, by the way, Axel. Man, I miss him every yeah. day of my life, and like I credit a lot of the stuff that happened in my career um, because of him. Uh, if it wasn't for Axel, a lot of times. I wouldn't have got a lot of the opportunities that I did. It's unfortunate because towards the end, man, I was playing babysitter a lot of times for him. And um, that started to upset me. And I remember coming home a lot of times just restless, telling my wife, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, I don't want to get the call one day that something bad is going to happen. And unfortunately, I knew it was only a matter of time before that day came. And I was trying to keep him on the straight and narrow and trying to keep him away from all that but you know when people have demons sometimes you you can't help you know with certain things and but man so many good memories with him so many good memories with balls mahoney because of him and stuff like that just helping him along uh, i remember like tna uh hardcore justice 2010 when they wrestled the dudleys uh two days before that they went to gilberg's pro wrestling academy and beat me up all night long. We're going to do this to Bubba and Devon. And they're doing all these crazy moves. Axel's picking me up and balls is leg dropping me off the oh, middle rope and stuff like that. They never ended up doing a single thing in that match, but they just wanted to beat me up that night. And I was there to basically be their tackling dummy. And Hey guys, whatever you want to do, I'm cool with. And they were just trying different stuff on me and it made me feel good to be associated with them. And it made them feel good that like, Hey, this kid's going to let us do whatever we want to do to try different stuff on Bubba and Devon. Definitely. Now, when looking into uh, schools, um, were there a few that caught your eye, and which one did you end ultimately end up with? All right, so um, it was weird the way that the wrestling business had worked for me because I was 16, 17 years old. I mean, my whole life since I was like 10, we were doing, you know, the course, the trampoline wrestling and all that kind of stuff. And I think that my first insight to actually trying to take wrestling serious was um, an NBC show called pro wrestling's greatest secrets exposed. It was like 1997 or 1998. And I recorded that show on a VHS tape and I watched it religiously every day for like five years straight. Um, and literally just learned how to body slam guys, how to tuck their necks, how to this and that. So I was doing all the same stuff that they were doing to protect guys on that show on a trampoline. And then eventually over time, it led to me turning 18. I think, um, for my 18th birthday, my wife had said uh, at the time, you know, we'll sign you up for wrestling school. And I didn't do a whole lot of research. I just literally went like at the time, even looking back at the Internet, man, like it, cell phones and all that stuff. Like it wasn't like it is today, you know, like I think How every kid has a cell phone and they're like, what, like five years old even. <laughs> yeah, I think at the time I had a flip phone from Verizon. And it barely got internet on it or anything like that. So I would have to go onto my like old big humongous computer and I, you know, dial up internet at the time. And I literally, uh, I was trying to figure out where a wrestling school was in the area. And at the time, the, I think this was a huge thing too, like a little bit of an argument between me and my dad, um, and it, it it does, once again, like you said earlier, it came with age and stuff like that. But at the time, my dad wanted me to go to FCW. So he knew that Cody Rhodes was there. He knew that Ted DiBiase Jr. was there. He knew that a bunch of other people, you know, Bray Wyatt, like Mike Rotundo's kids, all this, all these other, you know, people were there. So he wanted me to be a second generation right there along with all those guys. 
And it's weird how people people's paths, I'll tell you that in a few minutes, but it's weird how people's paths end up crossing um, because later down the line, um, I ended up, you know, getting to work with a lot of those guys and, and different stuff like that. But back then, um, it just wasn't in the cards for me. I had a kid and another one on the way, and I was just like, this isn't going to work for me. I'm not going to Florida. I'm not moving my whole life to, you know, try to be a wrestler and this and that. Realistically, at the time, should I have done it? Maybe. I don't know. It, you know, maybe things w- the process would have been sped up a little bit quicker. Um, but at the same time, I, I still think that the way that I did things, it's a really cool story. So um, I, I ended up joining a little crappy school here in Maryland, and I don't want to say the name or anything like that, but it was a little tiny crappy school here in Maryland where basically they took my money and I didn't give them – I wasn't an idiot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't give them the full amount up front because I was like – too many people – pay your 2500 or your 3000 up front they get beat up they get sent home they get their leg broken like Hulk Hogan or whatever the case is and you never heard from again and you just lost your money so i was like you guys do payment plans and they were like yeah and i was like cool well let's do this payment plan then so it basically got me to a couple hundred dollars in the door or whatever and they just started beating the crap out of me well i'm cool with like you know, paying your dues and earning your place in the business and stuff like that. What I'm not cool with is all the constant like hazing and all that other kind of stuff like there. It it turned into way too much, way too quickly. And it was from a bunch of guys that were absolutely nobodies. Like they never, these guys never had a match on WWE. They never had like any extra spots, nothing, you know, it was like, as, as my dad likes to refer to these guys as legends in their own minds type thing, you know? So, um, it was just really sad. And I remember like being upset one time, me and my, my best buddy who I um, went to high school with, we both signed up at the same wrestling school and we gotten beaten up so bad, man. Like it was just so bad. And we kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. And finally we were just like, they're not teaching us anything. Like they're just beating us up and using us as dummies. Yep. Like, and we're not even like, we're not getting taught anything. Like we're not no body slams, no regular back bumps, no nothing. They're just like throwing us around like ragdolls. So I literally was like, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. So he actually quit about two weeks before I did. Cause he got some severe concussions and stuff like that. And then I think my thing was, like I said, I just started feeling very like not confident in the place. So I think my wife was having my son, and I said, like, hey, guys, one night I just decided, like, hey, guys, I got to go. And I never came back there. And um, I remember, like, the owner of the place was, like, calling me every couple of weeks and stuff. And he's like, you still owe me money and you this and that and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, man, like, you're never going to see another dime out of me because all you guys are doing is beating me up. You're not even teaching me anything. So by this time, I'm like, it was like I was 18, middle of 18, whatever. I started calling my dad. My dad was living in Florida at the time. And, um, we were trying to mend our relationship then, because like I said, as a kid, he wasn't around a lot. So as an adult, I was like, I want to know my dad, you know, um, my mom had honestly kept me away from my dad, which was kind of sad. And, um, and a bunch of family turmoil had happened. And basically I started making decisions on my own. And when I started making decisions on my own, I was like, I want to get to know my father. Um, so I said, what better way to get to know my dad than for my dad to move or not move, but to come from Florida to Maryland. Um, I was going to ask my grandmother if instead of spending all the money on wrestling school, if I could buy a ring and stick it in my backyard. And that was exactly what happened. So I ended up, 
purchasing a ring for $3,500 from like Kentucky off of eBay, paid like an extra grand to ship it or something like that. Something crazy. Estes truck pulled up in front of my house and dropped this humongous wrestling ring off in pieces. And then I had to go to Home Depot and buy plywood and all the stuff. 18 years old, man, like 18 and owning my own ring. Um, I paid, I think, a little more than half, and my grandmother had covered the rest and was letting me make payments back to her. And she was like, call your father and see if your father's going to come down and teach you how to wrestle. And I was like, okay. And he did. He came and stayed at my grandma's house uh, for a bit and was training me. And, and then that led into the Allentown weekend. And then that led into me making my debut just like two weeks later. So my training with my dad was very like short. It was like maybe less than two weeks, but he was like, he he even said like when he got to the house, he was like, there are certain things that you need to brush up on. He's like, but a lot of the basic fundamentals you like already got down. It's like you taught it to yourself and you're watching so many people over the years, their positioning and stuff like that. And then it had got to the point where I just wanted over the years, like to pick other people's brains. So I would start, like, if I heard like Val Venus was going to have a seminar, I'd go to his seminar or Carlito or, you know, like Gilbert had started a pro wrestling Academy for a few years in like 2010. And I was there like every single day. And I was working out with um, Jessica Carr from uh, WWE, the referee. I was teaching her how to wrestle at the time, like before anybody else, like half the time Gilberg and the other guys, I love them, but they would be like up in the office. I'd be down in the ring, like working out with Jessica, like teaching her how to do like all these different moves and stuff. And um, it was just crazy times back then. But I literally, I would go to every single training seminar I could find. I'd go, you know, every time Ring of Honor would have a tryout, I'd go to a camp or TNA had a tryout. I'd go to a camp and all that kind of stuff. And that was pretty much my start into pro wrestling. And I just grinded it on the indies from like 2009 up to like 2012 before I finally got a call from WWE the first time. That's awesome. Let's talk about your first match. Who was it against? What was your theme music? Were you a heel or a face and uh, where did it take place at? And what was the result? Um, April 4th, 2009. I'll never forget the date because it was my one year wedding anniversary with my wife. So (laughs) (laughs) I was in the doghouse big time. Not really because I, I really made it up to her big time the week before that. Um, I had taken her out in a limousine and we went and got, uh, some Japanese food and then we went out for ice cream and stuff around the town and it was cool, but this was pretty much like I'm making my pro debut next week. So I need to do something cool this week. Cause I don't want to be in the doghouse. Right. Um, traveled with my dad to Niagara Falls. Um, so my first match was in Buffalo. Um, I was 19 years old. It was for a company called Next Era Wrestling at the time, which later turned into um, Empire State Wrestling, ESW. And they're, I mean, they are a huge company out of Buffalo. And uh, Johnny Puma was the booker slash promoter at the time great guy and uh, brett stymus was also working underneath of puma and i mean everybody came from that area at the time i mean brody lee dalton castle you name it i mean they had so many guys that worked in that locker room that i was like wow this is crazy i didn't i knew at the time like they, they weren't anybody big they were just indie guys but i knew at the time there was something special in that locker room and that's where i was making my debut one of the first people I met, my dad introduced me to was Brody Lee. And he literally said, this is big rig and he's going to be a huge star one day. And I was like, oh, and I remember Brody being so cool and like literally telling me, "You tonight's your first match I heard. Yeah, it is. 
um, well, just picture everybody in their underwear, you know, like, and, and stuff like that, especially yeah. now, you know, God rest his soul, RIP. Like, yeah. Um, I, I think back to that kind of stuff when I was writing my book, um, a few months back and I put stories like that in there because I'm just like, that is something that nobody can ever take away from me. Like, like one of my first interactions, the very first night I'm in the business is with Brody Lee. And he's telling me, you know, trying to make me laugh and try not to make me so nervous. Picture everybody in their underwear, Brian, like this and that and stuff. And, and it was cool, but we ended up doing a tag team gauntlet that night. It was me and my dad. So that was cool. My first match was getting a tag with my dad. Um, we, the first team that came out, I think they were called like Southern Comfort. The the matches are on YouTube. Um, they were like from 2009. Really bad quality videos, but um, Barry Hardy, Brian Hardy, Bad Sensation against uh, Southern Comfort. We eliminated them. And then I think the Amanon brothers came out and eliminated us and I took the pin. So I got my first uh, win and loss in less than just a few minutes because my dad hit the stunner on the guy from the first team and pulled me over top of the guy. So I got my first match ever was a pinfall victory. And then a few seconds later, the next team came out and then I got rolled up by the other guy. So it was like I won and lost in a matter of a few minutes. It was great. That's cool. Now you said you wrote a book, man. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah. Um, so wrestling with life, rocking all night, the Brian Hardy story. I know that uh, the people, this is audio, not video, but it's right here, man. This thing is thick <laughs> and, uh, and it will be out this year. Uh, wrestling with life, rocking all night, the Brian Hardy story. And it is about uh, close to 300 pages of everything crazy that has ever happened in my music wrestling career and my life for that matter. I mean, I was a very young father. Um, I was 15 um, when my wife and I had met and I was 16 when we had our first child together and we have, we had four kids um, and then we got custody of my two nieces and my nephew. So we have seven kids total right now. Um, wow. And, and it's raising quiet, seven Raising seven kids has been the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life and the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my life because if I can um, say that I've made those seven contributing members to society, then I think that I've that's better than any world title that I could win. That's better than any you know gold album that I could ever have or anything like that, and I – I take a lot of pride in that, but like I said, that's the family side of things. So yeah, uh, same, same lady, you know, since the time I was 15 years old, I'm 31 now and seven kids and a house and three dogs and all that kind of stuff. I talk about all that in the book. And then we yeah. got, you know, a rest wrestling career where I've traveled everywhere, you know, around the United States and wrestled the who's who list of talent just within the first couple of years that I was in the business, 13 years now in the business and 21 years as a musician playing clubs all over the world, opening for national recording artists and hall of famers like heart and stuff like that. I mean, just stuff that people, people say all the time. I, I say, I still haven't done enough. And they're like, you do more than most people have done in a lifetime. And I'm like, eh, I still, I still got my eyes on the prize, man. I'm still trying to win. <laughs> now, speaking of that, um, how hard was it for you to balance work life, being an artist, family life, dad life, and professional wrestling? Sometimes people say we're learning every day. What's your opinion on that? Yeah. Um, well, I tell people a lot of times, um, I try not to let my kids hear it too often, but it's true. I feel like right now, like, you know, like when people say you're watching your kids grow up, 
really your kids are watching you grow up right now as it is, you know, like I've, I've got seven eyes, you know, like seven sets of eyes on me right now, watching every single thing that I do every day. And they don't even realize that they're watching me mature into the man that I am. They're watching my wife mature into the woman that she is and stuff like that. So it kind of, uh, it's a lot of pressure. Um, like I said, it's, it's definitely the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, I was not an easy person to deal with in my younger years. And I, that's all inside of my book, man. I, uh, my whole book is a complete tale of, of truth. And, um, there's stories about everybody in there. There's stories about me and my wife. There's stories about, uh, me and crazy girls, groupie fans and stuff like that and strippers and all this other stuff. And then there's stories of people like me and John Cena. There's stories of people like me and Vince McMahon. I mean, it, it's all in there, man. And, um, and it's, it's crazy because, I just think that as far as the balance of everything goes, it was tough. My, my wife is a saint, um, honestly. And I, I would say she is the closest thing. Like if I had to recommend someone for sainthood, uh, she'd be pretty close to it because she was a lot like my grandmother and my grandmother was like the sweetest soul in the world. She wanted me to like succeed so bad, obviously to put a wrestling ring in the backyard. Yeah, she wanted me to succeed so bad. Um, but my wife has been there for every single thing that I've ever done in my life, uh, good, bad, ugly, anything, and, um, has stuck by my side through it all. And the best thing is, is she's very honest with me and tells me like, you're being an idiot, or this is a bad idea, or this is a good idea. And a lot of times, even if I don't want to listen, um, deep down, I know she's probably right. So it's, right. it's one of those things where I use my better judgment a lot of times. And I'm like, if she's thinking that this isn't such a good idea, then it's probably not such a good idea, you know, right. but, um, younger years though, man, so rough. I was never home. I was, uh, I was traveling constantly. I was missing a lot. As you were saying, a lot of important things can't go to this, you know, course concert at school or can't go to this or that because I'm I'm traveling so it was like I'd be wrestling uh three days a week I'd be playing music four days a week and I was managing a bio lab job at the time for like 11 years and then finally I think in 2019 I finally just had to let that go and I said I can't do this anymore I was like I gotta dedicate myself completely to pro wrestling and music so that's what happened Thanks, man. So then talk a little about um, your time in WWE. How does that whole process work, you know, regarding do you get a letter, do you get a phone call like a week before? And uh, what, what's it like to be a part of it? So what's crazy is there's a lot of people that, you know, they just instantly think, oh, because his dad was on TV, like he, he just got the spot, you know, like. I'm not saying that that isn't true for some, like a person, I think an interview I watched not too long ago was Randy Orton and Randy Orton openly said, like, I got my spot because I was Bob Orton's son. Like simple as that. Like I didn't have to do anything else. I just literally had to walk in the door and everything was handed to me because I was Bob Orton's son. And he's very open and honest about that. Uh, for me, not so much. Um, people knew my dad. They respected my dad. They loved my dad. Um, but I had to put in the work. It wasn't just going to be something like, Oh, that's Barry's kid. So we'll, I, I won't say that that never opened any doors for me or anything like that. That I would be lying if I didn't say that, you know, half, half of it, but a lot of it, especially in the beginning was literally me just kind of hoping for the best and fingers crossed. And here we go. A lot of people don't really know it. 
I, I do talk about it in my book. Uh, there is an independent wrestler by the name of the Flying Hawaiian, Kikoa. Yeah. I don't know if you know him or not. Yes, I do. Um, he got his start in the Allentown area. Yep. And um, when I was working for LVW, we had wrestled each other a time or two. And I thought he was like one of the coolest dudes that I had ever met uh, at the time. And he was going to WWE and – I think he did a raw segment with Maurice where he was like a karate person or something like that. And then like the next night he wasn't on SmackDown, but he was on like the main event taping before SmackDown and he wrestled Kurt Hawkins and Lance Archer. And, um, I remember saying to him like, Hey man, like, how did you do that? Like, how did you get your foot in the door, man? Because like, I need to, to know like how you did that. And, um, he told me like, Oh, it's real simple, dude. You just do this, 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 and this. And when he said that to me, I'm like, that's it. Like, that's all you got to do. And yeah, yeah. Here's this website and this email address and blah, 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 blah. And just hit them up. And I'm like, cool. Well, that ended up not working out for me. Um, <laughs> so he was like, he made it sound so easy yeah. and so simple and I love him, but he made it sound so easy and so simple. And it didn't work out that way for me. What ended up happening was um, I emailed them for months and months and months and months and they ignored me. And that was like in 2010, 2011. And I mean, by this time I'd had a tryout with TNA. I had had a tryout with ring of honor and I was like, WWE is never going to be interested in me now up to this time too. People were saying if you have tattoos, if you have anything like that, like WWE will not use you at all, whatever. I didn't have any tattoos at the time. I think I might have had like a microphone on the back of my arm and that was it. And um, besides that, I was like completely untatted. I was I wasn't really into a huge workout regimen. I like probably weighed about a buck 40, uh, which wasn't very flattering at the time for my look. And I think I was uh, I'm five seven, which that that's against me, too. You know, my height and um, just everything that could possibly be against me was against me. And I never knew what a tanning bed was at the time. Um and it had got to the point where I think what ended up happening was I had honestly, and I tell people the story all the time, I had started running my own wrestling promotion, Maryland Wrestling Federation, in 2011. I had w run like one show under the banner USW, United States Wrestling, in 2010. That did well, and then I came back like six months later under the name Maryland Wrestling Federation. And when I started running shows, I started booking myself in marquee spots against people that I wanted to learn from. You're no good if you're only wrestling someone as good as you, because if you're only wrestling someone as good as you, you're not going to learn anything. If you're wrestling talent that is way better than you are, yeah, of course, all the boys in the business are going to chatter and he's putting himself over and he's doing this and doing that and whatever. He's working all the big name guys. I needed to work those big name guys to prove that I could be in the ring with guys like that, that I could follow direction well, and that I could actually comprehend what they were trying to teach me and take it and use it against my next opponent. And that's exactly what I did. So then the list of names just started rattling off and early on. It was like, um, I think it was like Robbie E, Eric Young, uh, Hexall, Jim Duggan, Brutus, the Barber, Beefcake, Nature Boy, Buddy Landell. The list went on and on. And I'm like, I'm 19, 20, 21 years old wrestling these guys. And um, it, it just got to the point where I finally wrestled Jerry Lawler. And when I wrestled Jerry Lawler, I say to everybody that that match, it was like a 35-minute match. That match had been for the Maryland heavyweight title. 
probably my favorite match I've ever wrestled in my entire life. And less than six months later, I had got, I was at my bio lab job. My cell phone was on the table and I had, I don't even know how they got my number or what happened or anything like that. But I got a call from the WWE offices and I knew right away, as soon as I picked up my phone and it said Stanford, Connecticut, like, Oh, this is for real now. And I was like, you know, hi. And it was, it was the coolest thing ever. It was one of the chicks. I think her name was Amanda from the office. And she was like, William Regal wants to have a tryout with you on June 18th and June 19th uh, for Raw and SmackDown. Like, bring your gear, this and that. And was giving me all. Back then, now everything's through email. But back then, they used to actually call you. They'd give you the courtesy of a call. And they'd tell you what you were getting paid and stuff wow. like that. And there is none of that anymore. Like, now it's all through email. And everything is very, like, short and sweet and to the point but back then a call meant like the world like whoa this is awesome and i remember hanging up the phone writing down all the information at my day job hanging up the phone and then just crying my eyes out man because i literally that was something that i wanted my entire life like the thing i tell people is you can be a humongous fan of batman but you can't grow up to be batman you can uh be a huge superman fan but you can't grow up to be superman you can play with Brutus the Barber Beefcake's action figure or Jerry the King Lawler's action figure when you are a kid. And it is so surreal when you are 21 years old and standing across the ring from those guys. Yes. And that is the difference between me and every other kid in the neighborhood. They can't fight Batman. You know, they're not going to, they could dress up as the Joker and go fight the guy at Six Flags, but you're just going to get the cops called on you. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, but you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna touch that type of, of lifestyle. Like the dream that I dreamed as a kid and it became a reality. So very, uh, very humongous time in my life. Uh, I was 21 years old. The first place they booked me was the Nassau Coliseum for Monday night raw. Second place they booked me was the Baltimore arena, which was my hometown arena that I grew up going to shows, um, as a kid at. And, I, it was just mind blowing. Like, and that, that first match ended up being Ryback. Yeah. Now, do you have any hopes um, to get in on uh, AEW elevation or AEW dark when it comes to Baltimore? Um, I'm going to answer it for your show because I um, respect you a lot, uh, you. but I don't know what, uh, what's going to end up happening here in the next couple of months. Uh, let's put it this way. I really, really, really love the AEW product. Um, I love it so much that I am actually, and it's fine. I'm a little hurt that I haven't received a telephone call yet. Um, I know people would think like, who are you, you know, to be demanding telephone calls and stuff like that. But I'm not demanding telephone calls. I'm just, I would think for as long as AEW has been around right now, that I would have been one of the local guys that they would have, you know, called up and said, Hey, can you come to dark or can you come to elevation or whatever? Uh, my only time that I've ever spoke to anybody about AEW was the week that they came to Baltimore for the, I think it was the full gear pay-per-view. Um, it was the one where Cody got busted real bad with the chair and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but they, they had come to town that weekend and um, Conrad Thompson was hosting his like big event uh, down the street from there, which was like a, you know, a huge autograph signing and stuff like that. And I wanted to be a part of, full gear so bad even if it meant security or whatever and they told me like sorry brian we don't have anything available for you at the time they they actually answered my email back 
Uh, we don't have anything available at the time. We'll keep you in mind for future stuff and future stuff never happened because the pandemic had happened. Yeah. But, um, but at the same time, it was like, I never got a response back from them. So I just, um, every time WWE would hit me up, 2019 was my biggest year with uh, WWE. So from 2012 all the way up to 2019, they've been calling me back at different times uh, through the years and stuff like that. 2019, I got more bookings out of WWE. I saw more money from my family than I ever had from WWE, and I was grateful for that. And um, But then 2020 and 2021 was really hard because there was no – you know, the pandemic, everything was shut down. There was no work for me with WWE on those years. And I want to give you a little bit more insight. I can't, unfortunately, but it is good stuff. Um, I can tell you that this is not the last time you have seen me on WWE um, with the Viking Raiders in 2019. I can tell you that much um, because awesome. I know that something is ahead. I don't know how far out. I don't want to give all that information yeah, away man. right now. Um, but something good is ahead and, um, there is still opportunity with WWE. Uh, I would, I wish there was opportunity with AEW. Um, but right now AEW is not calling me. I guess I'm not on their radar anything like that. I have, I have to spend the next few months of my life getting myself into better shape than I've ever been in. And we'll leave it at that. But, um, nice. It's not the last you've seen of me on television. We'll put it that way. That, that's awesome, man. So after you have your match with Ryback and the Viking Raiders, you go backstage. What happens next? Oh, man. Well, um, you guys can definitely read about that in my book. Uh, but there's in – man, there's – well, there's been so much. So also you got to keep in mind, so those are like my only two WWE matches. But I've done so much other stuff on WWE television. Um, I was actually – I was on the Backlash pay-per-view with AJ Styles in 2016, the night that he beat Dean Ambrose for the belt. And he's cutting a promo backstage, and he's talking to me and uh, telling me that he's going to win the world title and this and that, and that I'm destined for failure and all this other stuff and everything. So it's like little stuff like that that not everybody – you know. Rem some people remember it, but not everybody remembers it. Um, I've taken a knee to the face from Buddy Murphy on 205 Live before – WrestleMania week when him and uh, Tony Nese were going at it and stuff like that. Um, I've been in the No Way Jose Conga line numerous times. I've um, been security spots numerous times. I've done all this different stupid stuff. And then sometimes they've paid me to just sit in catering and eat for the night. So That's great. it's it's been cool. Uh, Ryback, um, contrary to – he gets a lot of heat from a lot of people. And I know that over the years it's been customary for like someone like CM Punk to like go around and talk about how unsafe he is. I love CM Punk. Um, but for me, Ryback wasn't unsafe with me. So like, I can't say like anything bad about Ryback as a person. He's actually been really awesome to me. He's given me a lot of advice over the years and stuff like that. And he, I still talk to him till this day. He's a good dude. And um, for me, it's weird because when I came backstage from the Ryback match, there was really, I was like waiting for a magical pen to fall from the sky in a contract. And yeah, you're going to get signed pal, you know? <laughs> yep. And, and nothing like that happened, unfortunately. Um, Vince before, uh, which that story is in my book. Uh, I was backstage taping up my wrists. John Cena is sitting right in front of me in a chair and watching the monitor. And Ryback is like, Vince is getting ready to come by. He loves me. 
And I'm like, oh, cool. Vince comes walking by. He's got like his jacket in his arm and he looks at me and he goes Shh, like that. And I'm like, what's like, what's going on? You know, like what's McMahon doing? And then all of a sudden, like he walks over and knees John Cena's chair. Like John Cena's like laying back in this computer chair. He knees the chair as hard as he can and then takes off running. And now Cena turns around and it's just me standing there. And I'm literally like, oh, Cena's going to kill me. Didn't help that the day before that at the Nassau Coliseum, I was talking over my tryout match earlier in the afternoon and Cena was standing behind me talking to Paul Heyman and I accidentally smacked Cena in the face with my hand. So he had remembered that from the day before and then the same kid is now kneeing him in the back of the, you know, in the back of the head in this chair or whatever. And then Vince spins the corner and gives John a hug and they are laughing, belly laughing and stuff. And I'm just thinking like, dude, John Cena just almost killed me. Like yeah. looks could kill. He was looking like he was about to mess me up really bad. So, um, that's my main memory from the Ryback match. I think the biggest thing for the Ryback match was that it was at the Baltimore arena. Like I said, and that was huge for me because, when I was younger, I was sitting up in like the 300 section and then I made my way down to the 200s, then the 100s. And then I think like the last time before that, my wife and I paid like 800 or $900 a ticket to sit front row at SmackDown. And then I told her, I said, the next time that I'm in this building, I'm going to be in that ring. And she was like, yeah, okay, sure you will. Ha 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 ha. And then the next time I was in that ring. So it was, it was weird the way that life works out, working your way up from the top of the building all the way down to the ring. And it was, that was very humbling. And then I think with the Viking Raiders match, that was fantastic because, uh, when we came back through the curtain, uh, I heard Vince on the other side of gorilla position screaming. I'm not going to say what it is because it was a lot of cuss words, but he was screaming with excitement that he was so happy that everything had gone the way that he wanted it to go. And it looked amazing. And um, Tyler Hastings, good dude. Him and myself just did the best that we absolutely could to make the Viking Raiders look like a million bucks. And I had a lot of respect for those guys with who they were as wrestlers from New Japan and all that other kind of stuff, Ring of Honor and everything. So it was like, yeah, I'll make these guys look as good as I possibly can. And they were they were cool, too. I mean, the only bad thing about before the, the match was they were in the hallway kind of crapping on my tattoos. And um, I didn't take a liking to that. But the only reason that they were crapping on my tattoos is because, like, I've got a lot of, like, stuff that wouldn't be things that the Viking Raiders would have tattooed on them. You know, they've got big skulls and stuff like that. And I've got, like, my grandparents and, like, hearts and, like, different stuff tattooed on me. And uh, they just, you know, tomato, tomato, just couldn't relate to each other when it came to the tattoo world. And they said some pretty harsh stuff, not thinking that I heard them, but I did hear them. But they're good. Oh, good. Right. Right. Let's talk about the big event, man. May 28th, um, Orchard Beach Banquet Hall in Maryland. Big thing for you coming on, man. To talk about it and why should the fans come to this and who's going to be there? Yeah, so the thing that's crazy about it is I think a lot of people are confused because they think that it's an actual wrestling show, and it's not an actual wrestling show. Like, there's not going to be any matches or anything, and I've, I've had you, to explain You made that, that clear on that on that thing, too, though. I, I did, and I and I made it clear on the flyers and everything. Like, this is not a wrestling show. And I mainly did that because the Maryland State Athletic Commission does not like me, and I, they look for any reason to show up at one of my events and be like, we're going to shut this bad boy down. Like, we don't like Brian Hardy. We're going to make his life hard. And I'm like, yeah, like, this is terrible. So 
I make sure to make it very known. Like there's not going to be any matches. Um, I think the coolest thing is I am the first guy to host a talk show. And some people may say like that it's Conrad Thompson did his star cast, excuse me, which was a wrestling convention a few years ago here in Baltimore. And he had a couple like panel, you know, guests and stuff like that. But to have an actual talk show where you're sending, you know, you're talking and you're sending it to somebody else and they're interviewing somebody else. And then you're filming all over the place and everything. I think the only person to ever really do that here in Baltimore was Vince McMahon with Tuesday night Titans back in 1986. And uh, it was in Owings mills, Maryland. And so now all these years later, 2022, Brian Hardy decides to uh, run his own wrestling talk show where I'm going to be interviewing um, a couple different guests. My dad, Gilberg, Playboy Bob Starr from WCW, Joel Gertner from ECW, and uh, a few other you know surprises and stuff like that. Um, we're going to have different guys coming on at different point in times in the show and um, talking about random wrestling merchandise and, and memories of pro wrestling. Um, I don't want to give away too, too much, but like um, – we will be talking obviously with Gilberg about like his title reign and like different pieces of merchandise that he's been in over the years, you know, like magazines and programs and stuff like that. And it gets so much cooler than that. I don't want to give it all away. Cause then the problem is I give it away. Somebody will literally steal my idea next week and be like, Hey, I'm running Brian's yeah. wrestling collection yeah. 2.0, you know, yeah. like on May 27th. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. But um, May 28th, the Orchard Beach Banquet Hall in Glen Burnie, Maryland, where I have wrestled so very many matches. I wrestled Jerry Lawler there. That was like one of my favorite matches ever. Um, that building just has Maryland wrestling history written all over it. Um, I've had a ton of Maryland Wrestling Hall of Fame ceremonies there and different stuff like that over the years. So I've had a lot of memorable moments in that building. Planning on making more. Uh, Brian's Wrestling Collection is a YouTube series that I started when the pandemic happened because I didn't really have anything to do. And I was like, let's talk about wrestling figures and magazines. And let's talk about all these different wrestling memories that I've had over the years. And maybe I can help people find cool merchandise that they didn't even know existed over the years. And then maybe some of the stuff they did know exist and they thought they were the only person to own it. So now they know that I own it too or whatever. And we're on episode tonight. I just posted a new episode on YouTube it's episode 88. So wow. we are so close to the 100th episode. And I said, what better way to do the 100th episode than to do it in front of a live studio audience with vendors there selling tons of wrestling merchandise and different stuff. We're going to do meet and greets. We're going to have face painting for the younger kids. So if you want to get your face painted like Darby Allen or Sting or this or that or whatever, we're going to have face painting. We're going to have all this different cool stuff, but the basis of the entire day is around this Brian's wrestling collection episode. That's going to last about an hour and a half to two hours in front of a live studio audience. We've got some surprises planned that we're not telling anybody till the day of, and that's going to be really cool for the fans that are in the building. Cause they're going to go, we had no idea about this. Right. And, and where do they go um, for information? So go to facebook.com slash Brian's wrestling collection. Um, go to Instagram at Brian's wrestling collection, TikTok at Brian's wrestling collect. You can literally uh, message any of those pages. I will have the webmasters take care of stuff. People are like, how do we order tickets? I'm doing it so old school, man. I'm doing a Johnny cash style. If I could sell the tickets right out of the trunk of my car, I would, but people are like, can we get ticket links? Can we get this and that? I'm like, I'm not doing any of that jazz. What I'm doing is you DM me, you say what you want. 
I send you an invoice through PayPal and then we mail you your tickets or we hold them at will call. We're not doing any reserves. We're not doing anything like that. Cause people like to reserve like 10 tickets and then not show up, you know, being like dorks about it and stuff. So right. I'm like, uh, you know, people pay up front. We can rather mail them to them and make it a priority that they get them or we can, you know, just hold them there at will call. They show up and they'll get their seats, but it's a good day. $75 for VIP tickets. Uh, and that includes a steel chair, uh, commemorative Brian's wrestling collection, steel chair that you could get all the guys in the building to sign that day and everything like that. And a bunch of other cool stuff. I'm wearing the bracelet right now. Uh, this awesome. is Brian's wrestling collection live, you know, with the date on it and stuff. But there's a bunch of other cool stuff, a limited edition trading card, a limited edition eight by 10, a meet and greet with me, all this other kind of stuff. That's the VIP package. The seated admission is $25. And if you just want to come in the building and just look around and check the place out and say, you know what, I'm not really staying for the show, but I wanted to meet Bob Starr. Uh, we have a standing room only ticket, which is $15 admission to get in. So if you're like, hey, I'm just coming to check the place out for an hour and then roll out. That's the cheapest way to go. But either way, people definitely do not want to wait. We are one month away tomorrow from um, literally one month from the show. So it's like you want to get these tickets. We've got less than 130 tickets available to fill that building. It's a tiny building, and we want to make sure that we can accommodate people, but we are not going to be holding stuff and waiting until the last second. Definitely. Well, Brian, I really appreciate your time tonight, man. And uh, next time we have you on, we have so much more to talk about your music world and uh, – some of the highlights of your career, but uh, fans, stay tuned because you have not seen the last of Ryan Hardy and RC. Sounds great, man. We're going to have to do a part two. I love it, man. So fans, remember, don't keep it nice and neat. Keep it completely damaged on MockerRadio.com where music and minds meet. <laughs>